If you love to read, love to talk about books, or are trying to find that next great book to read, and you like to enjoy a cup of restorative tea, then this is the place for you. Welcome to The Perfect Blend, the podcast where we pair the books we read with a delicious cup of tea. I'm Shelley Haskell. And I'm Candy Beaker. Something we love to do is read. When we aren't reading, we're talking about what we're reading. And it's just, just not about the book for us. For us, it goes way beyond the book. When you mix together great books and curious minds and a desire to live the book, not just really live it, but experience all the things that resonate, well, you get us. This week, our featured book is Something Wicked This Way Comes by Ray Bradbury. So this book um, is a great classic of scary I can say horror, but it's really not. It's more like suspense and scariness mixed, I would say. Yes. A genre. Horror makes everybody think of some kind of gory blood and guts kind of thing. And it's not that kind of scary. It's that the good kind of scary where you're tense and and just tuned into some weird things happening, supernatural happenings in the world. Yeah. It's that kind of a scary. And, and it's... I like it because you were just talking about gore and I'm glad you hit on that because the book is scary because of what's going on in the story without really anything having to be gory. It's just the thought of, it's like a psyche type thing. Really. And that's Ray Barry. Ray Bradbury is the master. He is. the master of, of, of bringing you to the edge of or the prickliness is the hair. I got, I got goosebumps. Your goosebumps are going and you're, and you're like, Oh, what's going on? Yeah. He's good with that. More talks about that as we go along. Go uh, October. It just, when I think of October, this book and, and then of course the Halloween tree. So he mm-hmm. has some really good atmospheric, books for October. I can't, I can't, I don't think October without thinking Ray Bradbury. He's just that good. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. I agree with that. Um, So uh, what are you sipping on today to go along with our book? Oh yeah. So I have searched out some new teas and I wanted to talk to you about uh, a new tea company that I've discovered and I'm in love with called August Uncommon Teas. And I've got their sampler pack. I also bought one for my daughter-in-law for birthday. <laughs> Bonus <laughs> so point. That's right. I'm sharing the love on that. So the tea that I selected from them is called Jet Black. And it is a rich black tea with roasted mate and espresso bean. And I picked it because of Mr. Dark. That nice dark title. And um, it has a great hazelnut um, sweetness to it. But it also has the the dark black tea, that bitterness with the dark black tea. And then it's got a hint of chocolate over there with the roasted um, coffee beans. So you've got a little bit of coffee, but it's not a coffee, strong coffee flavor. It's more of like that chocolatey uh, flavor that a coffee can add. So it doesn't Um, taste like the tea that I brewed that there was coffee in the filter. And my tea tasted terrible. It doesn't taste like that. 
Yeah, it doesn't taste like that at all. I remember you telling me about that. That um, was so disgusting. I kept thinking, oh my God, I was so looking forward to trying this tea and it's horrible. <laughs> it tastes yeah, like coffee. And then you gotta make sure you, the coffee is out of your Keurig cup before you make it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. This actually tastes delicious with this, um, and it's roasted coffee beans, espresso beans in there. So it's not like ground up coffee. Oh, okay. It's, okay. It's, it's seeping in those coffee beans, and, and hopefully it's giving me some extra caffeine early morning. I need it. So I really like it. One of the things I thought about it when I was drinking it that made me really think of Mr. Dark was that, you know, it starts off as a tea, and you think you're getting something mild. But then it's dark and delicious. <laughs> and um, you get something a little bit different than you expected. Just like crazy Mr. Dark. <laughs> that, is, that, that is the perfect way to describe Mr. Dark and, yeah. and how, he, how he comes across. Perfect. Well, I have, always, I have always wanted to order tea from David's Tea. <clears throat> and I have never done it. And... I just decided that this was going to be this was going to be the book that that I ordered the tea. So I tried, you know, I ordered a bunch of stuff and I ordered a mug. So I've got the witchy <laughs> confetti mug, which I absolutely love. It has a top and I got the infuser. They had a good deal because that's on my bought, Christmas now. I want somebody to buy it for me. <laughs> well, you know, if if you bought so much tea or you, you know, you spent so much, you got a free infuser. So oh. bonus. I love, and I love the infuser. It's perfect. Yeah. But I got a butterscotch chai. I thought that was fitting. I was mm -hmm. looking for something caramel, something with carnival flavors. And when mm -hmm. you, when you brew this, it's, and you, you just, you know, you inhale the aroma. I'm on the midway. I smell popcorn. I smell you know, I, I can hear the carnival music and the roar of the roller coaster and the kids screaming and, you know, all the noises and stuff. It just takes me there. And it's it's a it's really a nice flavor. It's a Rubio's and it has apple, sugar, ginger, mango, pineapple, cinnamon, papaya, cardamom, sweet blackberry leaves, black mm. pepper and natural caramel butter biscuit flavoring. Butter biscuit flavoring. Oh my goodness. And I think that's why I, I smell popcorn. I really think that's why when you smell it, I just kind of get that. It doesn't smell full on popcorn, but it, it just has that hint of it. And it makes me, it really does make me think of carnival. But then at the end, you get this little kick of the black pepper and that kind of stays with you. So it's really got lots of interesting flavors. I love it. Like it's got a lot of interesting flavors. I happen to love cardamom, so. Uh, uh. I know. It does have a lot of interesting flavors, and it, it makes a really, for a great flavor. I love Dave. I, I'm, a, I'm sold. And um, I'm going to order the August from them, too, because they had that tea sampler that you showed me. There's, I'm, things I I try. There's not enough time in the day for all the tea now that I want to drink and the books I want to read. I tell you what, October is the best for that. But um, we have really opened ourselves up to a whole new world of teas uh, yes. doing the podcast. And it's been a lot of fun. It's just as fun as finding the perfect book. But finding some perfect teas has been really uh, a fun part of this. Uh, yeah. Uh, I'm always like, oh, you know, if they mention food or something, I'm always looking for a recipe, which, you know, I did. I did for one of the books we're going to read later. 
but mm-hmm. I've never thought about the tea, but that's such a big thing about that comfort of a, a cup of tea while you're drinking, while you're drinking a book, well, yeah, while we're drinking in the book, while you're reading the book. And so I've really enjoyed that. And I know my mother, wherever she is, is just tickled because, you know, she was always about the tea and, you know, she used to give me a hard time about, you know, and here I am. I'm, I'm in the tea. I'm drinking it. I'm swimming in mom, it. I'm ordering it. I'm telling you, I'm the same way. My mom drinks tea all the time and she does not drink coffee. And um, I drank tea growing up, hot tea because of mom. But then oh. college, I turned into a coffee drinker because, you know, yeah. early classes. <laughs> oh, yeah. Eight o'clock every morning. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I, I never liked. Well, I, I, I was a sweet tea girl. I mean, you could hook me, just put an IV in and hook me up and I drink sweet tea all the time. And I've, I've gotten off that kick. I'm not a sweet tea drinker so much. I can't do the sugar so much anymore, but I, I, I do enjoy my hot tea now. How the times have changed. Mm-hmm. Yes. Uh, so you want to dive into characters? Let's introduce our characters for something wicked this way comes. So now that, now that we've introduced our teas and while we're sipping, while we're talking, let's just tell you a little bit about the book. This book is about two young boys who are in their teens, early teens. Thirteen. They call them tweens. They wouldn't They're call tweens. them tweens. They're but just at the beginning of their teenage years. Beginning of the teenage years, and they are they have run into a very strange and unusual cast of characters that have led them to a, a very scary and strange. Mystical kind of carnival. Yes. The carnival and, comes to town. And it brings along with it some very sinister experiences for them. And there's a few good adult characters, but for the most part, it's it's about uh, these young boys facing a lot of fears and strange things. And they are trying to be protective over the people that they love in this story and how yes. they go about trying to protect those people that they love and how they look at the uh, the, the different um, events that they run into. Yeah. Each boy has a different perspective of what's going on in that story. Yeah. I found uh, an article, Darkness in Literature, Ray Bradbury, Something Wicked This Way Comes from The Guardian. And I love, they just, they did such a great Ray Bradburyan description because they said it holds <laughs> up a distorting sideshow mirror to the hopes and fears of small town America. Bam. I mean, that's, that's what it does. Mm -hmm. It's drenched in darkness. Every character, a slice of night. And I love that. And there's a lot of that in the book. The book is light and dark. It's a lot of, you know, the light versus the dark and and how we struggle with that. Mm-hmm. There are many different aspects of how that struggle takes place in lots of different people. Oh, it's such a good book. You want me to talk about a little about Carnival, uh, the historical behind the Carnival? Yes, I think that would be a good idea because you brought that, that, uh, that was very interesting what you brought up. One of the things that I, when I was looking at Carnival's, because this is, um, well, this book was written in 69, I think. And um, the heyday of the carnivals was right at the turn of the century, like these traveling carnivals. But I'm sure they extended through. I can, rem- I can remember circuses coming to town 
even in the nineties, but um, I think they really started to go away in the around the sixties, seventies and eighties. I don't think there was much going on. It was more just the big circuses, but these traveling circuses came around because of the Chicago's world fair in um, 1893 there were some traveling shows and med, like medicine shows, of course, before that. But mm-hmm. these, um, when the Chicago's World Fair had all these electric things and automatons and such new technology. But the traveling, the midway, like you said, the midway with all the strange and unusual oddities started traveling around the country. And, and he got his idea from this, this book from a circus in 1932 in the end of the book, he writes about meeting Mr. Electrico mm-hmm. and being fascinated by him. And he knew at 12 years old that something amazing had struck me with electric fire and changed me forever. And six weeks from that, he started writing and he wrote every day for 65 years. Yeah, that's, ama- that's amazing. It um, is amazing. <laughs> it really is. But when you go to, I don't know, I'm not a writer. I, I'm always admiring I read, I read his book, the, the Zen, Zen and the Art of Writing, and it's so inspiring. And it really, you know, he gets me, gets me thinking, but he would, whatever, whatever thought he had when he woke up, he would write every synonym, every phrase, everything he could think of that went with that. And, you know, you can tell in his writing, he is just so excellent at description it's yep. amazing. I mean, he can just go on and on and on to describe. I think each of one of those layers of description, and one of his styles is when he, that layer of description, I think of it as like a hypnotist. Like each time he's bringing you a little deeper and deeper and mm-hmm. deeper into the mind of the character and the setting of this or the situation where you're, each time you get a little bit more of that feeling of what is it? What is it? What is it? And it really is hypnotic. Um, and yes, it's like a it, spell. It is he's like ha- he's putting you under his spell. Yes, and you and as you listen, I mean, it's hard to describe sometimes because you you're like, oh, it's just now part of my feeling. I don't remember what the words were. There was a lot, <laughs> you know. It's like it's really it's like I said, hypnotic is the one way I can describe when I read it. It's it's really in, in twilighty dream like. He really creates that with his words that like nobody else can that I never read. Now that now that I've read him and read quite a few of his books, uh, I I think in terms of how would I describe this? What words would I use to describe this? It just really has changed my my thinking about how I see things. You know, if I were going to write this, what words would I use to describe it? What what do I smell? How do you describe that smell? So mm-hmm. it is really something that has, you know, we, we talked about, we live with these books, how, how they become part of us. And this is really, yeah. this is, he really has a hold on me. I mean, he just, he, he's just great at his craft. And, and I, I so admire that. So I like it. That. I like it that we can bring back some that we we're not just looking at our we're looking at our favorite books, but some of these books may have been things that people haven't read or have missed the opportunity to think about reading them. I mean, I know Ray Bradbury is a classic, but you know, you not everybody's you know going to the classics and grabbing them off the shelf, you know. No. So and it, 
it's not necessarily something that's uh, introduced in schools anymore. Or, I mean, I suppose if you take a literature class or something, you might run across it. Well, you so know, they, they take a class. It's like, I got, I read it, I'm done. I read it, I'm done. And, and, and I just, oh, I'm living it. I'm, I, yeah, it's, it's that, that little, whatever I've sponged that part of it that appeals to me or, and it just becomes part of, of who I am and how I think. So I, one of the things we both were talking about too, before we get into the, really the meat of the book, I don't want to go too far into this, but we were talking about how we've read it at different times in our life and that yes. we read it a young, we read it almost like Will and Jim, like we were that young, we were in our teens, both of us. At different yeah. times, read it when we were like in teenager high school years. And so you saw it then from those boys' experience of like, get out there and get into the world or whatever. But now we're reading it. And this time it was a de- very different experience for me. And I think I read it in my 20s. I'm pretty sure I read it in my 20s or I read it in, in college. I'm, I know we did it for that. But um, it was this time it was a different take. And I, I don't, I can't remember if I looked at it. And my younger eyes as the old man who was, you know, looking back on life's regrets. Who, <laughs> I don't who do you I think? I it that way because I was just, I think I really thought of them as just side, they were just little fillers in that these kids had to have parents. So they just were fillers, you know? Yeah. And, yeah. That, that and you don't think about cool. the parents' experience because you weren't there. But who do you think you would have, you identified with more? Jim or Will back then? I'm a Jim. (laughs) I was definitely out there looking at how to get beyond uh, the the everyday world. I think I was too. I think that I think that I was scared like Will in some respects because you know I was strict parenting does that for you. Oh yeah yeah but that's good but I really think underlying I was a Jim. I was mm-hmm. dying to get out and to be older and to to be able to be in charge of myself more than I was. I think every every person is both of those a Will and Jim, and they're especially in their growing up lives. <laughs> yeah. I, I'm sure you're both, and I know I was both, but I know that in my mind I felt more like like Jim. I wanted to get out and go to the circus. I might have even wanted to jump in and, you know, take off with them. You know, that's the kind of person I was. I didn't do it. I would have, I probably, now in that respect, I would have been Will and I would have said, oh, no, that's probably not a safe thing. You would have been like, whatever. But then the gym, the gym, the gym in me would be going, what the hell are you doing? Go, go, go. (laughs) I believe in this instance, you would definitely have saved me. We have. Will Holloway and Jim Nightshade. I think that's in his intentional way of telling us. He's on the nose. He's on the nose about some of that stuff with the names, isn't he? Yes, the names he is. tell something about the people, what don't they? You know, hollowed will ho- it, it, it just that light versus dark is there. Mm-hmm. And they're both mm-hmm. 13. And they are one of them is born one minute before midnight. The the day before the other one that's born one minute after midnight. Um, and I like the way he describes how Will runs because running is its own excuse. And Jim runs because something is ahead of him. Yet, strangely, they do run together. So he, he's telling us right from the get-go that they're together, but they're going off in different directions or 
in a respect. They have different reasons. They're looking for different things, aren't they? They yes, um, they are. Yeah, I mean, we talk about Will and Jim. They're really good friends. Grow. They live next door. They're almost like you know the the typical best friends next door. Done everything together. Peanut butter and jelly. You know, they just mm-hmm. go together. And uh, but they do have different lives. They they have different um, situations going on in their lives. So um, Will has a more stable life. He's got a, a his mom and his dad and and things like that. And and Jim has experienced a little bit more heartache and grief and sadness in his life. And there's really not a lot of happiness in Jim's life. If you, I mean, I think his mom is good to him. He seems to care about her, but she has, you know, there, there's some evidence that there's been some abuse in her life from the dad. He's not there. Mm-hmm. She said, Jim or Will, I can't remember which one was talking or maybe just narration that, you know, she carries the marks with her um, on her face. So you get the idea that there's probably been some physical abuse in that family as well. And she's also sick. So maybe it's just that maybe she's just ill. And when they talk about the marks of abuse on her face, maybe they're just talking about the hollowness of her eyes or something because she's unwell. I mean, we don't get his way of describing things is never straightforward. It's always, you know, roundabouts and especially from the boy's perspective because maybe they just don't know enough about the world to really understand all of it. And so we're back in time. We're in Greentown, mm-hmm. Illinois, and mm-hmm. it is, it is from an earlier period of time. So they probably don't have that, that experience except for, I mean, you know what, I'm going to take that back because where do they go after supper? Oh, they always went to the library. They always go to the library. And of course, Will's dad is there. But he he's really distanced from Will. It's almost like he feels like because he's so much older, he can't have that kind of relationship with him. He's kind of hung up that mantle of playing and and being boyish. But the, I digress. But they talk talking about the library out in the world. Not much happened, but here in the special night a land bricked with paper and leather. Anything might happen. Always did. And, you know, Will is drawn more to the adventure and Jim is more to the darker things. Mm-hmm. And But they both, you know, so they're experiencing their world through <gasps> the library and books. Yeah. And, he, and um, Charles Holloway, dad, he really does. He kind of like, he knows what he's, he's introducing them to. He knows he's introducing them to uh, books to help define their character for them to figure out who they are. Because he says, which hat are you going to wear? Yeah. They're like, what kind are you talking about, dad? What do you mean? It's a book. And he's like, it's a, is it a white hat or, or a black hat kind of a conversation? Yeah. So. And when, you know, and when he, and when Will asks his dad, you know, he's thinking white hat. Cause you know, your dad your hero you know they solve problems they're doing everything and but his dad is is thinking more black hat that's like I I had to I had to choose mine a long time ago and that's alluding back to he is a a late in life dad you know so he probably had well when we were trying to talk about some timeline there that around his his 40 40. he was 40 
Yeah, 40. So, you know, he had a, a, a lifetime of experiences before that. So when he talks about his hat, he feels like he had to make decisions before being mm-hmm. a dad. That he, uh, he's got that hat on his head that's, you know, a dark hat. And those, those three characters, Jim, Will, and Charles, are such mm-hmm. big characters in this book. And, you know, we talked about reading this when we were younger. We more identified with Jim and Will and that, you know, wanting to escape and find out what's behind the tent flaps and that kind of thing. Because right. we thought we were ready for it. And <clears throat> here we are. And you, when I used to read it, I thought Charles Holloway was ancient because... One, he acted ancient and he talked like he was ancient. And then I'm young. So, of course, he's older. And, you know, Jason Robards was the Charles Holloway in the movie. And he's always looked old to me. Sorry, Jason Robards, but you did. You always, you know, he just always looked old. And then I'm reading it again this time and thinking, oh, my Lord, I'm 54. I am the same <laughs> age that as Charles Holloway. <laughs> How did that happen? What the hell's going on? I just, okay. you know, and it totally took me away. But I really, really understand Charles a lot better now than I did when I was younger. Yes. I, I still I still have that yearning that, that Jim and Will had, but I understand Charles so much better. Yeah. Yeah. The whole, the whole part of looking back on your life and um, seeing your decisions and uh, what they changed and brought forth in your life. Um, We definitely have that perspective. As a young person, I thought, I I don't even remember. I mean, if if you asked me before I reread it this time, I'd be like, oh, his dad showed up and helped him or something like that. But most of the time I wouldn't even remember. I don't even know if I remember that he was a janitor. I mean, that's how little of the story he played in my brain that he, you know, that he had. I mean, I, I think I probably thought that they just all went to the library together. I don't know. But I mean, I did not. And I, I guess that's part of, you know, a young person's view. You know, you're, you're, you're focused on the characters who resonate with you. Of course, they had to have parents. A story wouldn't be right if they didn't have any parents. So, you know, in my mind, I thought of it like that. Like they had to have somebody in there, but they really were just non-existent in my brain when I thought back of the story until we read it as a this time and I'm like oh man look at that I just really and I, I had that lightning moment yeah like right on top of my head <laughs> I think when, when he you know because he always escapes to the library he works there but he'll go after dinner he'll go back yeah. and it doesn't say you know if he works the night shift or or what or if he just hangs out there it's like I think he escapes to the library to hide yeah. And, it, and then he goes and he has his drink at the local bar. And, you know, and he's like, I don't need it, but someone inside me does. And mm-hmm. when the bartender asks who, he thinks the boy I once was who runs like the leaves down the sidewalk autumn nights. Mm-hmm. And it really, it really stuck with me because I, when you get our age, you start looking back at the person you were, you know, would the person I was look at me now? and be disappointed mm-hmm. did did I you know the hopes and dreams that I had when I was younger have I have I done a good job for that little girl and and I think Charles Holloway feels like he really failed himself as a boy and is just kind of resigned to that he's just a resigned sad man. <laughs> and that's what Will says to him too he's like why are you so sad dad I want you to be happy and and 
and Charles has an answer. Some people are just sad. There's and there's nothing wrong with just being sad. Uh, I mean, the way I look at life, it's it's okay. And um, I guess it is okay. I mean, you know, it doesn't always. I guess what I took at that moment too is like, no, everybody does not have to be happy, and every character does not have to be happy in the book, and there doesn't always have to be a happy ending. Although we all love happy endings, we like things right. to be resolved. But in life, it's okay if somebody is just not jovial all the time or super excited about their life, but it just goes on with it. I think we, as outside readers, want to fix things in stories that we can't really fix in our lives. So we hope that the story will fix that. And so you get some satisfaction there sometimes. So it's it's kind of an interesting way of looking at Charles because he does say I'm okay with being a sad guy (laughs) you know yeah yeah he is like like I said he's resigned to it Mm -hmm. and lo and behold at three o'clock in the morning the soul's midnight the tide goes out the soul ebbs and the train arrives at an hour of despair and so I looked up that because the the Will and Jim see it coming and because they're well, you know, everything next to it. each other, they climb out their windows and they go see this train arrive. And I was looking at what's so significant about 3 a.m. And one of the things that I came across that it was the devil's hour. Mm. Said that the demon devil who leads hell is strongest at this hour. And 3 p.m. is the hour that is believed when Jesus was crucified, now known as the most godly hour. So 3 a.m., 12 hours later, is the opposite. And there we have that light and dark again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I think and in the book, he says something like 3 a.m. is the, the time that we're nearest death. The body, the blood slows to a, a crawl, barely moving through the heart or something like that. And so he, he describes it as that time where we're the closest to death. Um, and, this, and the carnival comes to town. Yeah. And we're introduced to some more characters. Yeah, we are. Yep. Um, we have Mr. Coogan and um, all, the, all the strange uh, sideshow freaks. I don't want to use freaks in a negative way, but just how they described him, you know, just Mr. Dark and yeah, the skeleton man, the all of the characters, the midget and the midget is you know, interesting when you realize who the midget is, but all these kids, you know, the carnival is exciting. All the kids are excited. All the flyers and the shows on the flyer. There's so many things listed to grab what you might be interested in. Right. Mm -hmm. So we talk about what you were kind of just starting to dance around uh, Tom Fury. Um, He sees the most beautiful woman in the world is going to be there. Yes. And he's interested in that. And I mean, he is a lightning rod salesman. And I think at that point, he's just your everyday person. Selling Although lightning rods. He comes at the beginning of the story. Lightning rods, yeah. But he also kind of has some words that he says to the kids, like, their storms are coming. And it's like, here, you know, things are And he getting- picks he picks Jim's house for the lightning rod. Mm-hmm. But he feels, yes, he does. He feels the storm coming. And he talks about that bag being everything in his life. And then as the boys are going down to the carnival, they find his bag. 
Yep. And yep. no Tom Fury. Nope. So here we go. We're starting. It's starting, starting to wind us in. And they're excited about the carnival. But Will feels something different than Jim. Yep. Will's already questioning. There's no carnivals at this. This Everything's done by this time of year. There's nothing coming around. The summer's done. What is going on? This is so unusual. I mean, he keeps, every, everything is a word of caution. Or, or, or Not just curious, like, ooh, let's find out what's going on. Curious, like, this is not right. Right. <laughs> he's and he, like he's repelled and Jim is attracted. Mm-hmm. It's, and it's two along. different reactions for them. I think he's going along to 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 see what's going on, but also to to watch out for Jim a little bit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because really, he's worried he about says Jim. things like that. I don't want you to leave me, Jim. I mean, he. I mean, in the story, as we move along, he totally says that. Mm-hmm. He doesn't want to lose his friend. Yeah, he's not. He's not ready. But when they get, they don't actually get to the carnival. Like you co- go in, you know. They they kind of somehow come up on the side. I think they follow the music, right? Do they follow the music to the carousel? That's their first experience when they get there. Yeah, they ha- they go on the midway and they're seeing everything mm-hmm. and just looking around and inter- mm-hmm. everything's interesting. But there, but you know, Will has that mm, something feels funny, and Jim is different things that they're not supposed to. I think the the situation with Mister Electro. When they were, Mr. Electro was somebody being changed into a a carnival person from a human. Yeah, that's person. later, right? Yeah. That's Coogan. Like a second time, right? Yeah, that's that's later on because he, yeah. You skipped way ahead. <laughs> Sorry. Squirrel alert. <laughs> Squirrel alert. Yeah, and, and, but Charles Holloway, he sees the flyer for the circus and he has a bad feeling. And oh, speaking of that, speaking of the, you know the other some of the minor characters in the town, Miss Foley, the barber, the Mister Cassetti, the barber, and maybe Mister Tetley, and then they um, smell. The they, they smell. Like- they can taste the cotton candy. They hear the music, and mm-hmm. they're just they're mesmerized by what's coming. It's like it's like it's calling out to them. Um, about all of that because they get one a little... had the tears down as a Mr. Mr. Corsetti, why haven't I stopped to smell the the last 30 years? Yeah. And has yeah. the tear in his eye. And they just mm-hmm. everybody it, this this carnival is affecting everybody. It in just way. Yes. yes. Just the, it's just in the air. And it's effective. <clears throat> and then they get involved in it. Mm-hmm. And Miss Foley's nephew yeah. is he wanting to up. take her to the mirrors. Yeah. And, and Will is just dead set against her going in the mirrors. He just knows something about those mirrors isn't right. He won't let Jim go to them. He doesn't want Jim to do any of these things. This is towards the end when they're talking about the carnival. Ray Bradbury just describes it as so the carnival feels ulcerated egos miles off and lopes to toast its hands at the ache and they so the carnival feeds off of the misery of small town america Mm -hmm. and it i guess it and it comes to take what it can from these people it's it's not something from nothing it's nothing from something because i think that's yeah, a big part of they it they get you know? nothing and the and the carnival gets something it's a big price that they pay for nothing they mm-hmm. think they're getting something for nothing 
by doing the carousel ride, by going through, you know, going through the mirrors and seeing, and then going on the carousel, they don't think they're giving up anything to get something. And it's only after they got it that they realize they have nothing. The carnival they took from them. Their soul, basically. I mean, if they become a tattoo, you know, <laughs> his tattoos that are Yeah, like, or they become part of the show. Yeah, they become, they can, they get transformed into some weird characters thing. And like poor Mr. Fury becomes a midget and- and so, but the other thing is that they all end up on Mr. Dark, the illustrated man tattoo. He went, oh, well, he adds them because he, I know that was a big thing. He added the kids, mm-hmm. Will and Jim on his hands because he wants them. And you're, the whole time we were talking about the dad and how sad, what a sad sack he is and how he's not really doing anything. And he's not then, being much of a parent of an, in any way other than right. providing. He's not and a bad guy. Like, he's not. No, he's not. But when he meets Mr. Dark, when Mr. Dark is after Jim and Will, mm-hmm. as he puts the white hat on. Yes. And he, from, wor- from whatever, he brings mm-hmm. up this strength to go against Mr. Dark. Everybody else has succumbed. Mm-hmm. Yeah, what the, what's the, the barber has disappeared. Yeah. Or he, got, he got sick. Miss Foley has disappeared. Because now she she went into the Hall of Mirrors and saw herself as a young girl and went on the carousel ride. So they're taking all the people, all their disappointments, all of their dreams that they wanted or things like that. And they're promising with this carousel ride that it's going to give it to them. And, and here, Charles, who doesn't think he's got anything to give, stands up to Mr. Dark to, to save the boys or to help the boys. He doesn't give Mr. Dark any of the information that he wants. He keeps questioning him, Mr. Dark. And Mr. Dark, there, there are some unspoken rules in this magical world. Mr. Dark can't really just shout out, I need these boys to devour their souls. I mean, right. he cannot do that. He knows in some way that he would be possibly mobbed to the point that he was destroyed. I mean, I, I assume a mob could pull him apart or something. He has some kind of limitation that he cannot speak truthfully. It has to do with the light. Yeah. He was, it was during the daytime. And, yeah. and Charles really made Mr. Dark mad. And he got, yeah. us, he got more power or more strength in himself in doing that. Mm-hmm. But it, he also realized... Um, some, this is bad and I've got, we've got to do something about this. You know, this is, this is beyond scary because and it's almost it's- like Charles, Will and Jim are the only ones who are not taken in by the circus and they realize they're going to you be know, the ones that to do something. When I was thinking about it, I, I was wondering, one of the things was why just Will and Charles or Will and Charles. And I guess Mr. Foley, these few people are, but particularly Will and Charles, I mean, Will and um, Jim, because they are able to get away or they didn't succumb fully when they first were trying to be mesmerized. That's why I feel like they know too much. Of course, they're the people who got away in a way. And that's why they're going through the town trying to find them. But our other people, we have a few people succumbing to it. But we also keep seeing where people go and are enjoying the rides and all this stuff. But we don't know. Are all these people in town being absorbed is a total maybe they don't they're not the ones with the disappointments yeah maybe maybe Maybe. they're just even keel or maybe the other people are just full of joy and it doesn't touch them or something you know that's an interesting way just an interesting thought that I had but um when Will and um Jim after when the carnival really goes searching for them because of what Will did to the witch 
to the balloon. I think that was well, one of the they were after the, Jim had the lightning rod on his house and the witch but, was using but, that to find him because Jim, they knew Jim wanted so badly to get on that carousel and be older so he could leave. Mm-hmm. That's what Jim was thinking was going to happen. And here Will senses that something is up and he sees the dust witch come on the balloon to mark Jim's house so they could find him because they don't know the boy's names, but they know that lightning rod will help find him. And Jim had taken it down, I think. Yeah, he's in the bushes. And Will, Will, up in the middle of the night, I love that these boys are climb out their window and go, you know, cavorting around all over the place in the middle of the night. They have ladders stored everywhere. <laughs> yes, yes. I guess in Midtown America back then, you were safe to do that in a small town. Everybody knew. And he, he has the, the presence of mind to get the bow and arrow to go to a different house to bring to draw the dust witch away from Jim and, mm-hmm. you know, pop the balloon so that her mission has failed. And yes. um, so now it's like he is, it's not just Jim they want anymore. <laughs> they want Jim, but now they want Will to teach him a lesson. Right. Just to, when, you know, they're going to make an example out of him. He'll be part of the, the circus. When he was fighting her, he was, I think that was a big transformation for Will because he was not just the, a follower. He was not somebody who was just being scared and trying to get away and be safe. He was a person who was taking action into changing and fighting something negative. That was coming towards him. And he wasn't just trying to reason with it, reason it away. Because, you know, he's trying to reason with Jim. He's trying to reason with the adults and Mm -hmm. and nothing's working. You know, Coogan undermined him when he was, when he had gone back on the carousel to be the nephew, to become Miss Foley's nephew. He, Mm -hmm. he totally ruined their word and their credibility when he threw the jewelry out. And of course, Miss Foley went along with it because what does she want? She wants to get on that carousel and that was her free ticket to do it just to, yeah. you know, to, to destroy the boy's credibility. And, yeah. you know, all this stuff is happening and, and Charles kind of wakes up. He's the only one who will listen to the boys. He says, I'll believe you. Yes. And he listens and he comes up with a plan and where does he go to work on his plan? Yeah, he goes back to the library. He goes to the library. That's and right. he re- and he does all that research and, and you were talking about that earlier, you know how he set up. Yeah, I thought it was very interesting because it was almost, it was very ritualistic, and so he took he found so many different books or pictures, and he had laid them out in the circle like a like a clock, and certain things were at certain times. Mm-hmm. And um, I started looking at some of them. Of course, some a scene from Hieronymus Bosch, which is it was the triptych of Saint. Anthony's something <laughs> but it was just a very interesting if you've ever seen any of his stuff you know that there's like little crazy little devils and people and just all kinds of strange and unusual uh situations and then there was these uh, skeletal automaton type drawings and just uh pictures of what he said the prince of darkness so he's just putting all of these pieces together trying to figure out like how is they can how is he controlling people what's going on, what kinds of things. And that's where he finds out about the history of the carnival coming to town at another time, right? Coogan and Dark. Yeah. And they have they have come to visit more than once, but they're crafty about it because they only come through a, a generation so that nobody remembers. So, But he, he comes up with a plan and he 
he really realizes that he can make it. He knows what he can do. He yes. knows that he doesn't give them the satisfaction of his despair and his anger or his sadness that he can fight them. Right. And, and, and you I, know, they're trying to work on it. They're all in the library together. And here comes Mr. Dark and he brings his, he brings the dust whipped. <laughs> and there she is. Oh my God. She creeps me out so badly. She just, like, just uh, the thought, it just. She's very creepy. She's even, I mean, yeah, we have the Wicked Witch of the West, you know, from Wizard of Oz. And there is some Oz things in here where this, you know, a storm, uh, the balloon, there's a little bit of callback to to Mm -hmm. Frank Baum's books. But, um, and this witch is definitely of that, that ilk of scary, the, (laughs) I'll get you my pretties kind of. And, and I, I love it because she, she's like, whatever she's saying and she's like wiggling her fingers and like trying to get him to be Slow scared stop yes yeah. trying to stop it. and he just says stop her stop stop his heart yeah and she, and he's like what are you doing you're just wiggling your fingers in the air and he starts laughing at her and she gets mad and she's like trying to make incantations or whatever and and he's like stop it you're tickling me you're just tickling me and he just starts laughing and laughing because she's trying to just yeah you know, just stop his heart just i'm stopping your stop heart, heart yeah. and you know and he, he was in so much pain because we we didn't we didn't mention but he he stood up to mr dark yeah mr dark crushed his hand and mm-hmm. and told the dust witch to finish him off and he goes and grabs the boys and it's mm-hmm. like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. And then yeah. she starts in on him and he could feel his heart stopping and, and he takes that moment. Nothing else matters. This is this is it, he realizes. And he's looking at her and just the absurdity of the situation. And when he starts to laugh and then it repels the witch, which mm-hmm. he thinks is even funnier. Mm-hmm. And the more he la- you know, he he gets rid of her that way. And it's All just the, that like, simple, simple thing. The light yeah. and the dark. Yeah. But then they end up they run off and the Dutch bound them with that spell. So they couldn't okay. they couldn't um speak, they mm-hmm. couldn't move unless they were directed to. And so mm-hmm. they're basically wax figures that are walking on dark's command back to the carnival and he places them in the wax museum behind the mirror when um charles holloway is ready to do in the witch and he's in the you know he gets the gun and they're going to and there's a crowd too there's like this is like a sideshow act in and of itself right right Um, and he's gonna do her in and he's like calling jim and there nobody he can't come he can't move but then all the other people real people town people not just circus people real people are like jim come on your dad is calling you will i mean sorry come on your daddy's calling you whatever and they're like coming in and so they that kind of breaks the the spell for him because the the crowd and the joy is is bringing him in and then he's able to um hold the rifle for his dad whose hand is crushed and he's not scared anymore He's yeah, not scared. He's, he's finding some joy forest. finally. He's like he's like realizing this is it's almost like I've been a sad sack all this time. What the hell have I been wasting my time for? This stuff is ridiculous that I'm letting bother me. And this really, their circus is really just so he's he's just he's making a show out of it. 
And while the crowd thinks it's part of the show, mm-hmm. Dark and the Dust Witch are, wait a minute, this isn't supposed this isn't how this is supposed to go. <laughs> it's not good. Right. And and he just really and he know and and you know, Charles knows the tricks. So he knows the bullet that he's switching out so that she'll have the bullet and so on. So he, you know, he makes a big show of checking to see that the bullet's there and putting the mark on it again so he can send it to her. And, you know, they, they see it as a moon, but it's really a, a smile. smile. Yeah. And it, and it's not like she, she just gets faded away. It's just oof, gone. Yep. And they think that's part of the show too. Yep. It's not, it's not a bloody scene at all. It's just a, it's just a, an end of the darkness. Jim is still the mummy, mummified or whatever on under the spell. (laughs) But you know what? They go to get him behind the hall of mirrors and he's not there. And for a moment, you think we're going to lose Charles because he goes through the mirror maze. Yeah. And you're thinking, oh no, all that stuff, all that angst that he has, that 50 year old, what have I done with my life? Angst is going to come back. And mm-hmm. he gets him for a little bit, but he snaps out of it. Yeah, he does pull himself out, but he does see some scary stuff. He saw himself in a grave. So, yeah, yeah. it was about to pull him down. But then, I think that those, those mirrors just, they just play on your worst fears or disappointments mm-hmm. or your biggest dreams and hopes. Like either way, you, they either way they can get you. Yeah, what you what you're saddened by, like you know, you don't if, just because you want to be somewhere else. That's a, that can be a sad thing too, not a hopeful thing, but it could be a, a sad in the way that you're missing out. Your fear of missing out. This is a sad thing. <laughs> but but what Charles does at this point too, I guess. You know, he's realized he's got to become more childlike. He's got to be more joyous as as a child. He has to be, he becomes more like a playful boy with leapfrogging and trying to get, and when they get to Jim. Jim's well, Jim still, had gotten on the carousel. He's on the carousel and they're and trying. And he starts going forward. Mm-hmm. And Will's grabbed hold of him, trying to get him off of it. So they're both gaining years. Mm-hmm. And then, but, and and, you know, Jim wants to be ahead but he also wants to be with will Mm -hmm. so he's really torn between the two and will is just he start whatever the drug that it is is affecting them and they Mm -hmm. finally break loose and jim is comatose yeah so you think we lost to let go it was hard for him but it really took it took something out of him and they thought he was dead yeah Yeah. Mm -hmm. will's crying which who wouldn't you right. just it's a trauma the whole thing is just a traumatizing experience and dad slaps him and yeah. you know like we're not going to be sad it, it lives off of sad what is it i'll be damned if death wears my sadness for glad rags don't let don't feed them one more damn thing <laughs> it just right. gets him to do to be silly and do stuff and and jim snaps out of it and I, I really for a minute there a young child comes out to try to distract charles to get him away from jim and to keep them from helping him and he he starts to follow him and then he he's kind of like wait a minute and you realize that that kid is none other than yep mr dark mr dark and he holds him 
and he he's given him love and he and yeah, he's like you're murdering me yeah and he's yeah. like I'll do something and he gives him kindness and and care he's not hugging him in an evil like i'm gonna crush you way he was like hugging him with with love that's right and, and realized that this this uh this evil man was once just a wounded child well yeah and it makes you wonder how long well of course we know he's been with the circus forever mm -hmm. he and coogan mm -hmm. and i guess you know based on what happened to coogan in the book which we we haven't even touched on really they've been going forward and backward in time mm -hmm. quite often and yes. using that carousel to help them get what they need and he just cannot take charles's affection and, and positivity and whatever he can't take the light he cannot take the light and it destroys him basically yeah. but you wonder what sucked him into the, the circus did the circus take them it had to start somewhere you know yeah. it's the chicken and the egg thing that did a carnival pull them in and trap them in it for them to become the that's leaders that, of it? At that point, that's what I realized that that they weren't the creators of this carnival. They were the progenerators. They just kept it going. So, I mean, obviously this could have been something from all oh, time immemorial that has just gone in different forms, sucking out. You yeah, because how long have they been around? But yeah. you, you know, they have been the keepers of this carnival, but they're they have been created by the carnival, so to speak. So I guess at one time maybe they were boys that took charge of it, I guess, or or I don't know, maybe it was just the perfect kismet of something, some evil thing needing them as the channel for them. I yeah, don't know. Exactly it just what I think. it just kept it kept going and going and um, yeah. and it needs its own. I mean, it could be some other demon. Just I don't know. It, we don't see it, so you know, just no. my, my my imaginations brings it to something that is it is a conduit for the souls, for the for the the sucking away of the goodness and the the sucking away of you know the light that yeah the light and just keeping the misery and despair going. Um, and I like, you know, I've, I've that you give it evils only what the power that you give it. Yeah. And, and that's that cycle that finally you wind up the owner of the carousel, keeper of the freaks, proprietor for some small eternity of the traveling dark carnival shows. And that's, you know, what they were. And, you know, we'll ask, was it over? And Charles was kind of like, it's always going to be there somewhere. Yeah. And you really have to guard yourself because all of the misery and the missing out and all of that is what drew the circus to this town. And it was that the joy and the light and, re and remembering to be alive is what saved them. Yep. I think that the, that that's, you know, the main crux of this for sure. Mm-hmm. I, I like all. I'm, I'm sitting here looking at some of the words. I, I get so uh, turned on by his description. Sometimes you get you got to read it and read it. So it's kind of just different. But I'm kind of going through to see if there's anything in there. But I just yeah yeah. How easy thought will just this once thought Jim, but then once you start, you'd always come back. One more ride, and one more ride, and after a while, you'd offer a ride to friends and more friends, 
and family until finally, then you wind up the owner of the carousel. So when I look at the end of this book and what I, some of the big takeaways is that um, the spelling and, and it's something that is in a lot of scary books, the spelling, the darkness comes from light, joy, love, family. Obviously those things bring, bring in the goodness and dispel the sadness or the, the misery or the scariness. And it's really just a simple solution to, to the dark magic. It's, you know, yeah. love. And, and, and it, what is it? I love that they said at the end. Is death important? No. Everything that happens before death is what counts. That's so, right. you know, even though you may not get it right, yeah. the living and the enjoying, that's what's important. And you yeah. can't, you can't just go through life being afraid of death or, or being, being you know, just waiting for it to come. Or regretful for for your yes. misspent youth or the your lack of what you did or didn't do as a young person. You have to you need to be in that. If you like this, then I'm going to highly recommend. I don't know if you've read it, but the October Country is a book of short stories around October, and they're delightful. They're absolutely delightful. Yes, and of course the Halloween Tree, which is a kids' book, but I love it. It's it's a great phantasmical journey through Halloween. Mm -hmm. It's really good. It's just, uh, you will love it. It's just such a good way. Any Ray Bradbury. He's and, great. Yeah. I watched so those. The, are the, these three I, re I would recommend definitely for October. Something this wicked this way comes the October country and the Halloween. Sounds like good re and some good tea reading books. Mm -hmm. Most definitely. All right, I think that about wraps it up. We could talk about this book all day long, but we figured you do have something to do. I don't know. Some people, maybe they have to work or sleep or feed their kids, housework, something, something crazy like that. But we'll be back next Wednesday with a new book and a new cup of tea. So be sure to visit us on Instagram to see what we are featuring next week um, and for some other fun stuff. Thank you so much for joining us. If you've enjoyed this episode, we'd love it if you'd leave a review on Spotify or iTunes and share it with other book lovers or tea lovers. Yeah, we would love to have you. Thank you so much. Until next time. Until next time, read and sip on. <laughs>